0: Uh, um, so how much is that? And welcome to the podcast editors mastermind, the podcast dedicated to the business side of podcast editing and all the things that we don't or don't want to talk about. So let's get this started. My name is Daniel Abendroth. You can find me at Rothmedia.audio. Joining me as the
1: hosting this shindig below me. (laughs) Wow, I can't even get the timing right tonight. My name is Brian. You can find me at toptieraudio.com. And today we have a wonderful
0: guest. Uh, If you've been in the podcast editors club or around the editing scene, then you definitely know who this person is. We have Mike Wilkerson, who is a former certified sign language interpreter for the deaf, then a marketing automation director for a large St. Louis-based computer company, He now conjures content of all kinds for growing client listing across the nation. Micah has been hosting, producing, concepting, and enhancing podcasts since 2005, pretty much since the beginning of podcasting. Mike also runs podcast editing team and Academy, the editor core, which we're definitely going to get into later on, and a voiceover team, which we're going to talk about as well. If you're looking for light bulb moments, education, and perspective, Mike is the OG podcaster you'll want to connect with Mike. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to have you. Uh,
2: well, what a pleasure. And thank you so much for flushing everyone into my perspective and situation with the intro read. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, I think we should just have a moment of silence here for Daniel because, man, that was a lot to read. So good job. <laughs> yeah. For somebody that's been in the industry for 16 years, it's, uh,
2: <laughs> they're going to have some accomplishments.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just a couple things there here and there.
2: <laughs> and I love that we're talking to, and, and obviously there's going to be other people that listen to this, but I'm glad that we're talking to editors because while we're all we're talking to a podcast editors, yes, we were doing interviews and editing those interviews a couple of years before podcasting came out. So whenever somebody says, how long have you been editing podcasts? I typically will say something like 17, 18 years and they'll go, wait a minute, the numbers don't work. Well, and that's why the numbers don't work, because we were making podcasts before there was actually something called a podcast. That was one of our bread and butters inside of the television review line was to grab people that make the show and bring them on and have an interview and then dish that out to our audience via our website. And then when podcasting came along, it was a uh, perfect on-ramp. It was the, the way to deliver immediately, automatically by just shunting to one source um, that had a town crier functionality inside of it as well. So podcasting has been very very good to me and I, again it's a it's a wonderful symbiotic relationship that I love to foster with no matter whom we talk to.
1: Let's start with that because you said you've been editing for 18-ish years. We want to talk about workflow. Let's start with not the workflow that you're using but how has your workflow changed over these last 17 years? I would use the word gravity
2: because inevitably, and something just came out today, I'll mention it even though I haven't done anything except watch the initial video of it. It's, it's PodCastle. PodCastle is the most recent tool, thing that has been introduced into the podcast space that literally has something called magic dust function inside of it. And I can remember vividly my original co-host and I saying, okay, it's time to sprinkle the magic dust. I mean, it was funny back then. It's not so funny now because it doesn't instantly take away work from a podcast editor. It's a, it's never been that way. Even no matter how automatic the tool has become, there's always going to be a place for a real editor and a real producer and somebody that can help coach and guide people inside of podcasting. So, when I see something like see something like Podcastle as a an influencer as something that has and will have gravity inside the space, it will not replace everything that's available. That people traditionally have to go through and work with to get podcasting done. But it's very, very alluring. Again, as a, an OG podcaster looking at that product, there's a whole lot to like there. And with the, the workflow that we're going to be talking about today across a variety of things, whether it's your guy's stuff or mine, there's so much to talk about and learn from, from something like that, as well as the workflows that we talk about. The advent of the things that conjure gravity inside of the podcast editing space are amazing. Uh, the other one that I remember within the last couple of years is Descript. When Descript came, everybody had like this sphincter clinch moment because, like, is this it? Is it over? And the answer is it is absolutely not over. Descript is one of the samples I would use to explain to people that we're not an endangered species by any stretch. It's a great product with some training. And some skill set that's applied, it does a lot of great things. But is it a one to one replacement for you having a great podcast editor that maybe is cost effective or likes to work for free or whatever your solution is? And the answer is absolutely not. It's not.
1: I had recently had to pop into this script. I had some audio from a client where I don't know if the microphone setting was wrong or if it was the laptop microphone. The room noise was so bad that using RX even though I have a reasonable level of skill with that, was destroying the voice to the point where I couldn't do that. So I ran it through the Magic Studio or whatever it is that they call in, in Descript. And I sent it, and of course that wasn't great either. And I sent her back two versions and said, okay, this one's as cleaned up as I could make it using my normal stuff. This one is cleaned up better. However, you'll notice that the breaths and the S's are all mangled now. I don't know wh- how to tell you which one of these is the one to use, but these are the two options I have. So I, I totally popped in there and used it as part of my workflow.
2: Again, being able to grab or nab something or a feature inside of a software and utilize it to whack audio on its head to get and manufacture what you want, that's far more typical in what I know a lot of podcast editors and podcasters use to get the job done. That's why when you see something like a podcastle, where it looks like it's this Magic all in one thing inside of one window and your cell phone it's very, very interesting, and again that you can taste the mouth watering moment that people are going to have until it gets used and then what happens now and again, I'm disparaged podcast at all. I haven't used it at all. I, all I've seen is that video, and it looks great and it looks like it does everything magically, including the magic dust moment. I just know that there have been other products like that that claim very much the same thing where it's an all-in-one solution and you push buttons and magic happens. And typically, that's not what happens at all. And that's why you need somebody behind the stack editing your podcast.
0: Yeah, they're all great tools they can have in your arsenal, but I feel like we're a long way off from being replaceable completely. Now, there are certain you know podcasters that will you know want to save the money, but they're probably not the kind of clients that we're going to go for.
2: I think the one to one drift there is uh, to jump on the podcast hosting for a moment. The instant you have something that is free, everybody comes out of the woodwork to go and find a way to get to free, no matter how much money is spent, no matter how many speed bumps there might be in the path to jumping on and utilizing something for free. Or when you get to utilizing something for free and then you have the discovery moments inside of something that's free, every free service, quote unquote free service, has a speed bump. It's just a matter of you either researching them or discovering them after you start the service. And then deciding whether or not the speed bumps are going to be an impediment for you using it or not. That's what free services have always been about. and It's what they'll always be about.
1: As we think about workflow, we'll definitely want to talk about workflow. But one of the things I'm wondering, because I know, Mike, you're involved in quite a number of shows, all all the way from concept to audio capture to post-production and I think even some of the marketing, like all of that kind of stuff. I'm wondering, what are some of the, let's call them workflow faux pas that you occasionally or consistently see?
2: The largest one, and it is consistent and it is done by just about everybody, is the front end capture. Very much like what we're doing tonight, where wouldn't it be great if when you start a podcast, there was, I don't know, maybe like a test moment to make sure you've got at least decent sound to start with? What would something like that look like? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it kind of looks like you starting a little bit early during a session, <laughs> uh, ha- having a, a, a literal session where everything is not on fire or there is a giant audience waiting for you to get everything collected and, and then pushing something through and having a moment to test what is going on with, say, the microphones, whether it's in front of Daniel or you or myself. Is there room noise that is eventually going to be able to be taken out by, I don't know, a filter or one of the many tools that we've already talked about? Is there a technical problem? So if we went and grabbed our mic boom arm accidentally, or if I was using my hands animatedly as a former sign language interpreter for the deaf, if I whack my boom arm, is there going to be an issue? We'll find out now rather than having to have an issue after it happens. It's kind of like you don't know what you don't know. And that's why uh, the people that are, in my opinion, really great podcast producers, they'll issue a checklist. It doesn't have to be some monumental checklist, but it's a checklist of the things that you don't know you don't know. And eventually you do get to know them. That's the that's the value of having a guide in podcasting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I would even say that if you're hosting a show and you're also engineering the session, you don't necessarily have to be transparent with your guests that you're sound checking them, right? A lot of times with my first show, I would get people on there and I would say, hey, we're just going to take a couple minutes to get to know each other, make sure the levels are good. Hey, would you mind just, uh, can you tap your microphone? I just want to make sure like, and you can just kind of walk them through that. They don't even have to know what you're doing, but doing that makes a huge difference. And I know that because I've also not done that. And the difference between the two is embarrassing.
2: It's a monumental uh, way to overcome speed bumps before you ever have to encounter them. And I I agree with you also that the the more seamless you can make it, the better. One of the things that we do inside of the podcast captures inside of my studios since forever is there's a little bit of an introduction. You go, okay, so today there's going to be the three of us. There would typically be me, whoever is sitting in one chair and sitting in another chair. And there's only three people that are going to be hearing this live. So just know that if you accidentally mispronounce something, If you need to repronounce someone's last name, if there's something that you say that you'd like to remove later, all you've got to do is just pause for a moment and then re-engage. Cool? And they'll go, "Mm -hmm. wow, that sounds great. That's awesome. Wow, that's a great safety net or whatever the conversation is going to be. And in having that conversation, believe it or not, you're sound checking them. Now, what I also notice too is when you ask someone, okay, so we're going to be doing a sound check today. And uh, would you mind saying a few things? They'll
1: go, hello? Hello, or me, check one, yeah,
2: check. <laughs> Right, and all I want them to do is I want them to talk. And more importantly, I want them to talk as they talk, where they're actually having a conversation. I think that that's probably the most paramount thing that people remember inside of podcasting is that the podcast is supposed to be the capturing of a conversation. The capturing of perspective is how I describe podcasting. Podcasting is captured perspective. And when you can have a legitimate, real conversation with somebody about whatever it is, whatever the topic is, People are going to be engaged no matter what it is, but it's got to be that legitimate conversation as opposed to the, oh, now please read this awesome paragraph that doesn't sound anything like you real quick. Okay. Nobody's going to be interested in any of that.
0: Yeah, I know. Like whenever I hear like behind the scenes of like, you know, bigger production companies, it's always like, tell me what you have for breakfast or some kind of like casual thing that they can talk about for a while.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Pod decks. That's what they're for. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. All right. So what do you do from then? Um, Like, tell us more about what your workflow is.
2: Clean capture is where I'll start, regardless of whether it's a remote client, whether we're utilizing a tool to get remote client, or if they're sitting across me from in the studio. We always want to get that clean, the, the clean content first. The second thing is we're just going to record it. In the case in the studio here, we're recording directly to an H6. I've used an H6 for the last seven years of podcast capture, whether it be inside this micro studio in Lake St. Louis or my downtown St. Louis studio, or over at my HQ studio in St. Charles, they all have used H6s. The front end of our HQ studio, we were actually capturing through a mixer into a PC from microphones that were just tethered like they are inside of this small studio. And that was great. What you instantly notice is that it's so much easier if you don't have to involve a whole bunch of stuff and can just capture directly from microphones to, say, an H6. Again, it's about making fewer speed bumps to capture the content and then utilizing your skill sets and tools to be able to manipulate the file into whatever it is you want. That's what we found a tremendous value inside of the H6 for a long, long time. Uh, The H6 was also what I was using inside of my podcast bug. The podcast bug is a 1974 custom Super Beetle with a recording studio built into the front of it.
1: That's awesome. (laughs) It really is. Have you ever seen the pictures of it? I feel like I've seen it.
2: That's when it really starts to matter as well, because sure, I and I have, I've had a full mixer with the wires and everything run through the car. I can do that. In fact, what I do is I, I still take the mixer that has full lines run into it and, sh- and shove that in the, the trunk that's in the front. I'll shove it in there and the microphones are illuminated and there's boom arms and it's awesome. But the mixer is not running. It's actually jacking into an H6 because it's that easy. You push a record button, you do a sound check, you make sure everything's solid. Everybody speaks, they speak, they have their interview, they capture their voiceovers, whatever it is. And then you stop the recording and they leave. And then you smile and you say, next, please. And that's it. Again, it's about making the fewest speed bumps you can possible with whatever your skill sets are. That's what this is about.
0: In your business, do you only work on audio that you record or do you have clients send you audio? All of it. So how do you work with your clients to ensure that they're able to capture properly?
2: We always get a sample of what we're going to work on. One of the, uh, again, because we're talking to podcast editors, this is something else that I totally encourage. Get 15 minutes of whomever you're talking to's program. Just say, I'll tell you what, we'll do 15 minutes for free. Do that because in addition to giving you some really great skill set training, it's going to let you get different ice cream flavors of the audio that's available from a wide variety of people from every walk of life you can imagine. I have talked to and worked with everybody that's got ultra crappo audio to people that have their own studio at home where it, it sounds like something that's already off NPR and they just need somebody to, to weave it all together and whatever they want to do, and they just don't have the time to do it. So again, I work with a variety of people, especially inside of the editor core team, where it's people off the street where, or their podcast editor has quit or they've disappeared or they've ghosted them, all the way to finding us on our website, which is over at editorcore.com, contacting us and then just editing their podcast. Uh, But we always give them that 15 minutes for free because it's the it's the feeder. It's the instant lead generation, because if you can satisfy one podcaster, the chances are likely that they'll share that they found somebody that can edit their podcast and bring more business.
0: That's how I've gotten like 90 percent of my clients is word of mouth.
2: Totally agree. One of the things, especially in sales and marketing, that I've noticed that far too many businesses don't take care of. We were going to talk about building business later, but this is a good place for it. One of the most important things is remembering to stoke, quote, old customers. Because the old customers, if they've been a customer of yours, especially for a long period of time, over a period of time, buying from you or getting services from you for a long period of time, they're in your bag. Utilize them as a tentacle to go get more business don't just leave those people there. Connect with them. Tap them occasionally on the shoulder to let them know, hey, just wanted to see how you're doing. Are you working on anything new? Oh, really? Interesting. Hey, you know anybody else that's doing a podcast? You know, Have a conversation with them. And when you start issuing those conversations, the conversations instantly can turn into new business, especially in the podcast editing realm.
1: One of the questions I have about workflow is how much of your workflow is something that's what I would call proprietary or your thing that you bring to the table versus a client or a customer that already has some workflow that you're fitting into.
2: Having 16 years of podcast content with rotatable commercials, new intros, front-end bumpers for either the Two Guys Talking podcast network or something else that I'm working with that's called the Podcaster Matrix, being able to shunt and, and manipulate all of those things is what I throw to the editor core team members. So the answer is, that is a lion's share of the work that we have. But the growing number is just people right off the street that are looking for someone, typically someone else, to edit their podcast because whomever they're using or one of their podcasters, far more typically, is just not able to step up and do something consistently. And so we're jumping in to help.
1: I guess where I was thinking is like, When I think about workflow, I have some processes that I use, but I do have a couple of clients that I interface with where I'm actually fitting into a larger process. And so it changes how I do that. I'm wondering, like, is that something that you do as well? Or if you want to work with Mike, this is how we do it. Either we capture it or you capture it and everything else goes like this.
2: I'm always willing to hear how somebody has their existing workflow. What I have started using over the course of the last five and a half years is we're using a uh, essentially a behind-the-scenes checklist, a series of boards. Uh, we just happen to be using Asana. It's essentially a project management system that if you're not using this as a podcast editor, especially with clients, it can be any system. There are a number of other ones. Uh, ClickUp is one that Brian and I happen to be using on a project where it's very similar to Asana. If you're not utilizing something like this to not only monitor but share your progress inside of stuff, you really need to be. And it's not so that the client can watch over your shoulder, it's so that it can serve as a checklist for you, but then also making sure that responsibilities both on your end and your customer's end are met appropriately and not always in the hurry up offense mode. For those of you that are charging more money for hurry up offense mode, you probably don't mind it. But man, I'll tell you, when that's all it is every single time, nobody likes that.
1: One thing I'd like to add to that checklist thing is those checklists don't have to be written in stone. One thing that's happened to me is if if I have a customer that comes back to me with something that I missed twice, there becomes a new thing on the checklist. One of them was the a file got uploaded to the wrong Dropbox folder. Well, that happens twice. All of a sudden, the next thing is check the Dropbox folder to make sure it's uploaded to the right one. Problem solved. I haven't had that issue since then. I love that.
2: The other thing that those project management things will do is They'll actually tell you if somebody's paying attention or not, where typically, although that's changing, too, inside of the email representation, you don't actually know all the time if somebody has seen or even read an email that you'll send off, where typically inside of the project management stuffs, it'll actually tell you when somebody has gone to look at something when. And I appreciate that. Even if it's just an eyeball and I know that you've seen it, well, check. I'm good with that. It also is a mandate, by the way, when we start working inside a podcast editing circle, If they are not willing to work inside of a project management system, then typically I don't work with them. That's not an always thing, especially if you're doing something small or maybe just a voiceover. That's okay, But if we're getting into something that's an ongoing project, it is a requirement. And I don't do that because I want to make them angry. I do that because I want to see their commitment and I want them to participate.
0: So speaking practically, I guess it's kind of for both of you. Those checklist like built into your project management system, or how do you do that? I'm sorry, what was built in the checklist? So, like Brian was saying, like you know, if you you know upload to the wrong Dropbox, now on your checklist is checking that Dropbox folder. Is that something that you have like in Asana or in ClickUp, or is that like a physical clipboard you have marking things off with a pen and paper?
2: The workflow inside of the website is we've got the website, and via the website, they actually submit whatever the program is going to be. And then they just point to wherever it is. And inside the form contents that come through our website, you can click on the link and go to wherever they've uploaded whatever. That's not every client, but especially the ones through the website, that's how that works. So if we know that they've uploaded X file to Dropbox file, wherever they loaded it, all we've got to do is click on the link that they submit. What that does is it instantly takes the responsibility of making sure that the link to the the download actually works. Which, depending on the editor, is a giant speed bump sometimes. Where if somebody drops the link and says, uh, Yeah, I'm going on vacation, I'll be back in four days. Okay, well, and if the link doesn't work and you aren't available because you're on vacation, so do we just sit with our hands in our pocket for four days? When you get the link from somebody, it's then on them and we'll go to where they said or not, but at least it's on them as opposed to you trying to go to
1: find something and not finding it. Yeah, for me, it's in the software. So I have what in Asana or Trello would be cards. they called something different in ClickUp. That's a template. And every time I get a new episode, either through automation or creating one, I just, it's a copy of the template that includes the checklist for me. And then if I've got any subs working on something, then when I create their subtask, I will add the checklist for that. And it's like for the audio editor, it's really tough stuff. Like Edit the audio, mark anything that needs to be fixed that isn't the editing part of the audio, send it back to me, tag me so I know it's done. Like it's that kind of stuff, but it's trying to plug the holes that can happen. If they upload the file, but they don't tag me, it's possible that I would miss the notification that there's a new file added. So it's doubling up the probability that I'll notice it before it's late, right? That kind of thing. And then it's really not super involved. It's just that kind of thing. And you can go nuts. I mean, you know me, I over stuff. So mine's probably a little bit overengineered. But it is what it is. Yeah.
2: There's a, there's a client that I work with, and uh, he's been one of my best clients. It's Dr. Mark, who has the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. And again, podcasting is all about perspective and really niche perspective. The faster you can get into a niche, the faster you, in my opinion, you can grow an audience and, and build a really good, solid promotional set for it. What Mark does is he happened to come in right at the cusp of COVID, and so the, all of this great knowledge and um, focus and emphasis that so many companies began putting on remote capture tools was really, really great because he didn't have to come in here to the studio. He could capture whatever he needed to inside of the conference room inside of his doctor's office. And then when he uploads a file, he just drops me a note inside of Asana that says uploaded the uh, most recent file. Let me know if you have any questions. And the again, the, the way that the uh, Asana structures it. It's essentially a board. There is a line of information and a, a dialogue between Dr. Mark and I so that we both know what's going on. Uh, we respond if we're, we either need to or want to. And uh, it's even got just where there's this little, where you can click a little thumb and then it turns blue to note that, oh, I've seen that. And those are the things that I appreciate because it it takes seconds but it is something that's got to be a trainable, teachable moment inside of a moment between someone who's guiding a podcaster and the podcaster themselves. The question you had about whatever automation there is inside of a checklist for whatever, the answer is yes. Uh, A lot of the project management softwares, they have that. Again, the thumb thing is just something that's built into the system and it instantly helps serve the project where if you didn't have something like that, you have to rely on email. And I, It's not that I'm not a fan of email. In fact, I'm a giant proponent of email. But for something like project management, I do want that just quick check. I don't need to have an exhaustive dialogue or a multi-thread dialogue about whether the file's been loaded. I just need to know if it's there or not.
1: Brian, did you have something? I don't remember. Okay. That's how I roll. <laughs> Perfect. I, I was listening, not planning my next talk. I don't I don't know what. <laughs> that's my problem, too. And then I'm lost.
2: Yeah. So we've talked about uh, the, the different kinds of files that are submitted. Uh, do we have somebody just off the street that's got this Goonie Way file that sounds terrible? Absolutely. And as long as they're willing to work uh, or at least send me the first 15 minutes, and we'll do that for free uh, because I can then either throw that to my editor core people or I can at least give it a listen. And typically, that's what I'll do because then I know which of the editor core to send to. Each of them have their own little picadillos and attitudes and uh, personalities, just like everybody else inside of planet Earth. Again, it's about um, being the the dealer of the cards to the people that are on the team.
0: Well, that's awesome. So now we're going to move on to something less fun. But I think that as an editor, like it's a skill set you need to have, and that is firing clients. For you, what are some times that it's about time to let somebody go?
2: Well, something I also want to just put an overarch on this topic is that whenever you fire somebody, typically that sounds like a bad thing. I got to tell you, it's not. It's not because I love me firing some people. Ooh, I'm warmed up. Watch me head. Watch me chop heads off. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is that very often, especially inside of the podcast editor realm, when you have to fire a customer, it's because something has become... Intolerable. There's something, there's a hitch in the step. There is a burr in your saddle. There is something that is causing yet another speed bump. And very often it's an ongoing speed bump that doesn't just impact the relationship with that client. It begins impacting the relationship between your that client and your other clients or the people inside of your workforce. Or worse yet, all of it. And that's why, especially as you start, it's important to remember. When you start to recognize that there are speed bumps, you need to address the speed bumps. It doesn't mean and it doesn't give you license to be an ass to people, but it does mean that you have to be assertive as somebody that is a professional, whatever you're doing, so that you can go in and say, hey, I just wanted to mention something quick. It looks like this file upload. It's in the wrong directory again. Could you make sure that that's cool? And that's all right if it happens a couple of times. Even Brian's talking about the directories being inadvertently wrong. That's cool. It happens a couple of times. I get it. When it starts happening and then it starts impacting a schedule or your ability to grab the file and jump into an edit schedule, and then that's impacting the schedule you have with other clients. And then you got to contact your boss at the editorcore.com and say, hey, boss, I'm not going to be able to finish these three jobs because of Sally over in podcast X because, well, she screwed it up again. You have to be willing to go to the well and say, look, this isn't manageable anymore. And then you have to decide is the money you were getting worth it or is it not worth it? And all you got to do is start counting speed bumps and the cracks in relationships. And as soon as you start taking inventory of all those things, you need to be able to cut the tether. The cord's got to be cut or it'll end up around your neck.
0: Yeah, I'm dealing with that right now. Like it's, I love the show and I love like what they're doing. I like the purpose behind it. But. They're an older client that we underquoted, And now it came to the point where like the amount of work we're putting into it doesn't mesh up with the amount we're charging for it.
2: I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think that that hits one of the pinnacle moments inside of just about what I hope is every podcast editor's situation where when you start, you're obviously going to be charging less money because you don't know any better. There have been several conversations I've had in just the last week. In fact, I think Brian and I just talked about it in another program. We're talking about the value of the work that you do, and you must value your own work because if you don't value your own work, who is? And that spills directly into the relationship that I'm talking about when you start to see the cracks or it starts to get stretched far too thin. You must be willing to step into the pocket and say, we need to do something different here. And whether it's you need to cut the cord or give them a a good solid ultimatum or look, this, this cannot happen again. You must do that regardless of how much money is being thrown into your coffer because it's going to impact other things that are going to prevent you from making money.
0: And one thing about undercharging is even though like I love the show, when I go and put in like all this effort and it's like, I see that invoice. It's just, there's like a bitterness that's going to bleed into our relationship. So like, I don't want to sound like it's just like money grabbing. It's like, I just want to make as much money as possible. Like, There is a correlation of like, I know how much I'm worth and it's more than what I'm getting. It's honestly like making me a worse editor because I care less about their show because of how much I dread working on it, knowing there's that imbalance.
2: Yeah. And imbalance is another killer inside of podcast editing. I know everybody that's listening and likely anybody that will listen knows what balance is when you're in the groove, you're running through the editing stack, you're looking at the waves and man, this is an awesome edit until it's not. And nobody likes that moment, whether it's they, they had to cough or they got up to go to the bathroom or the phone rang or whatever it is. Nobody likes the hitch in the step. And that's exactly what we're talking about with firing clients, is the identification step of recognizing that there is a problem and then immediately addressing it with the client. It doesn't need to be licensed or a reason to, wear, to rail on people but it is where you do need to step into the pocket and assert yourself, especially as a podcast editor.
1: One of the things I try to think about in the types of circumstances we've been talking about is the fine line between being flexible and resilient as compared to enduring chaos, right? Because as I think about trying to bring more people into my business to provide a certain amount of stability for both me and for my clients, in order for my my team To be resilient and have some kind of reserve when flexibility is required, we can't live in a time of consistent chaos. And so I'm always going, okay, is the special request from this client something that will allow us to develop new skills and develop a little bit of that resilience? Or is this just going to create chaos? And I I had one a couple of weeks ago where I was kind of on the bubble about whether or not I was going to keep this client because his process is that different from the other stuff that we're working on. And I sat down with him and because we'd been doing something, he said, wait a minute, that's not what I want. I'm like, well, we've been doing this for like six months. He said just this. And so I, I sat down with him and he's like, yeah, totally. I was totally giving you mixed messages. I was saying, Hey, do this. Oh wait, why did you do that this way? So we had that kind of, I don't want to call it a come to Jesus meeting. Cause that kind of gives it a connotation, but we had that, that meeting. It was a very friendly meeting where I end, actually ended up walking away with more business from him because we had the conversation and he was able to address some things on the back end of his process that were creating some stress for him that my team and I can pick up because it's exactly what we do. So it was, it was a perfect conversation. It will require us to be flexible, which I'm fine with, but what it won't be is continued chaos.
2: Yes. The most important part there, something to glom onto. And again, I love to allude to feature films and, and pop culture. A recently inside the vein of Star Wars, inside of the book of Boba Fett on Disney Plus, which you can go and check out over at DisneyPlus.com, <laughs> <laughs> there there was a, there was a moment not where, a paid promotion. There was a moment where there was a series of very well done gunfighter moments. And what I always tell people whenever they talk about gunfighter moments is that remember, inside of gunfighter moments, no one has to die. It's about the conversation that's had between two people, regardless of who they are, whether they have guns on them or not, addresses Brian's situation perfectly, where yes, absolutely could have been the guillotine moment where you're leading someone up to up the stairs to put their neck on the (laughs) inside the guillotine. And okay, it's time to chop, chop, chop. Yes, absolutely. Wouldn't it be cool if you could just have a conversation where everybody gets on the same plane and then you continue the relationship, you continue to make money The customer gets to make the, the, to get the content, you get to then either build their podcast and issue it and publish it or whatever your role is inside of it, or you could just get to hand it off and then wait for the next one. Well, that's got to be necessitated with a conversation, not pulling your firearm and blowing their head off, right?
1: Yeah. And I think that leads into one of the questions that Daniel and I had, because we've kind of prepared for this and Daniel had written some stuff down, talked about not blowing their head off. So let's talk about when you let a client go, Mike. What does that process look like? What do you do to make sure you keep them whole? What do you not do? And what do you do only if you feel like it?
2: Well, again, the value of the project management system and my love of checklists is that I always make a good solid checklist of the things that are bugging me. I don't typically share that vein of the project with the client directly. I have a conversation with them and I run them through it. I always try to also have the conversation in person. Now, that changes drastically over the course of the last couple of years, but I have to tell you, if you have the opportunity, and for those of you watching the video feed, there is something to looking someone in the eye and having a conversation versus you running through a checklist of what's wrong with them. I can't tell you how much more valuable it is to look someone in the eye and have a conversation about things that are not okay, because reading an email like that is an Almost instant guillotine moment where someone's head gets blown off. Whether it's they just go look, I can't do this, or you look, you say look, I can't do this, because you lose all context of what's going on inside the conversation, especially when it's an email. I know that there are many people inside of the podcast space. Uh, one that comes to mind instantly, where a host quits via text, and I can't think of the, uh, a colder moment to have. Inside of the vein of a relationship of a podcaster. Because what was that? And the answer is that it was a, a very cold, meaningless non-conversation where things get decided and it's it's dire where you just go, sorry, I'm out. And you're not supposed to pull the ripcord on people over a text, right? Anything that fosters the conversation and helps you all try to get on a common level is where everybody should go first. Unless it is absolutely untenable. Let's talk about a couple of situations that are completely untenable. Giving ongoing files that are worthless, where trains going by, or you continue to forget. Earbuds have been wonderful, especially like these Raycon earbuds that I'm using, which you can find out more about over at Raycon.com. That's awesome. What wasn't awesome is utilizing wired earbuds, which I'm looking at the window here. Do we have any wired earbuds? Okay, that's awesome. Having them continually rub on a lapel or on your jewelry or whatever guidance you're trying to issue to someone so that the audio is not tenable, especially to a new listener and giving repeated remarks on something like that. That is a doomsday moment for me. I'm not sharing the betterment of the audio because, I'm, because it's Thursday and the three of us are talking about things that are kind of, boy, that bugs me. I'm sharing them because they need to disappear, because it will instantly repel listeners based on my experience and my know-how inside of podcasting. And when people don't listen to things like that, that is a guillotine moment if they don't change their behavior. And so again, it's about the conversation. It's about understanding what the expectations are and then the subsequent behavior afterwards. Now, that being said, it's it sounded incredibly calm, isn't it? Everyone knows that when those moments come along, it's likely not that calm. But you must try to reserve yourself and breathe. <laughs> because if you don't, instantly turns into something ugly. And in the vein of podcast editedum, one of the things to remember is that this is a very small community. Even though we see something crazy like Steve Stewart's Podcast Editors Club that's got 800,000 million people in it. This is a very small community. And I've already had the the case where, say, a podcaster will go to Podcast Editor X. I'm not so interested in their pricing. Well, Podcast Editor H decided to take on that project. Unfortunately, they too thought that Podcaster X was an idiot. Again, it's where the, the culmination of either the podcasters or the podcast editors, it's not that large a community and it will eventually trickle down. So it's important to establish not only who you are, but what your business practices are. Frankly, I think that too many podcast editors don't actually think about business practices, which kind of leads us into our third point whenever we get to it.
0: I do want to add real quick to that. Like, if you do let a client go, like to be professional about it, just because, like, what you're saying at the beginning of the show, Mike. Those relationships are huge. And so if you leave on a good note, then who knows down the line, maybe things get cleared up, they have a bigger budget, or they know somebody who they can refer to you. So you never want to burn bridges. They don't need to.
2: Yeah. Something in the vein of burning bridges that I wanted to mention also is that remember that even if after you finish a relationship with somebody, and let's say it didn't go well, you have to remember that at some point, if you did, especially a long running program with them there's a huge chance that someone will say, hey, so who, do you, who have you worked with? And if it was a long project or a prolific project, which has happened to me, where it was a sponsored project, it was a prolific project between uh, two professionals generating content to foster both of their professionalisms. And when someone says, hey, can I reach out to X person to see what their relationship was with you? The answer you should be willing to say is absolutely go for it. And if you can't, That's not on your client. That's on you. And a lot of people forget that. To go back to what you'd said, burning bridges helps nobody. So
1: don't burn bridges. As we get to the part about business practices, one of the things that I've found that unintentionally set me apart was that I sent my clients proposals and contracts, just sort of that basic business practice. And it doesn't have to be called a contract. But it does need to be something that says, this is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. This is how we're going to exchange money and work together. And this is when it's over, or this is how we plan to renew it in the future. I had one this week where I worked on a contract with somebody last year, and actually no work ever came from it. So I waited till my year was up, and I just sent him a nice note and said, hey, this contract was set up to start auto-renewing after the first term. I'm just sending you a note to let you know that I'm not going to be renewing it because we haven't done anything under this contract. If you want to work together in the future, I'm glad to have that conversation, but I just don't want to have an open piece of paper out there committing me to have capacity for something that might never come through.
2: The other thing that that does is it also makes sure that there is an end to whatever your agreement was. One of the things, especially inside of business practices, especially for podcast editors, is to have some formal review a review of your work at some point during the relationship you have to be able to go to the customer and go so how am i doing or what you've seen it sounds like you're happy i didn't see anything in the email and you know i was curious is there anything i could be doing differently with the relationship that we have or inside of your program and then just shut up and listen and don't take what is said back to you if if it does sound prickly pointy just listen to it many of the pieces inside of especially constructive criticism will come and can be totally evolved into what you're doing inside of the work, likely spill into some other project. A lot of the times inside of projects, people won't realize that the prickly pear moments are actually occurring because there's never a review, especially when I work with podcasters guiding them. Every three months, there is that moment. I literally ask them, what is it you like? And what don't you like? How could we change what we're doing here to make either the relationship feel better for you, or to make it more efficient for you. Because what that is, that's almost the ask for additional services. And you want to be asking your customers, what else can I do for you regularly? Because that means chiching more money for you. One of the things that we see inside of, it's not just um, many of the prolific ed- podcast editor groups, it's every business group that I've ever been in. You know, how can I make some more money? How do I find clients? Have you gone back to talk to your existing clients? Oh, you haven't. Well, how many existing clients do you have? You know, I've got about 10. Really? Well, what if each one of them gave you a couple of extra services or they had another program idea or they had a friend that wants to start a podcast, but they've been sitting on the idea for months? Maybe you can help them. Okay. well, none of that's going to happen if you don't have the conversation.
0: That's what I do. Every three months, I reach out to my clients being like, hey, let's have on a call. The main reason is I don't want to be the ghost at the end of an email chain. I want to be like a real person and build that relationship. But it also gives a an opportunity for me to like sit down, go over that checklist kindly of like, here's some things we can do to improve the show, a chance to listen. What can we do better? And then also listen to what their pain points are and see if we have a service that we can offer to fill that. So it makes
2: them happy. We get more money. Win-win. Yeah. One of the pieces of feedback I wanted to talk about too, anytime that you got a a feedback loop someplace, it's important to know that sometimes the feedback that you give is not going to be given to the podcasters. Let me give you a sample. For the customers that just come in and say, hey, man, I need this podcast edited by X. Uh, How much is it going to cost? We'll give them a rate. Fine. And we do that. That's cool. During that, we're capturing the show notes, whether they want show notes captured or not, because it gives the staff the training of capturing show notes off of a program. And what we also do is if there's something in the audio that needs to be addressed, like if someone has the microphone literally in their mouth while they're talking, or if they like to have a lozenge in their mouth while they're talking, or any of the other thousand different colloquialisms that the three of us can talk about inside of this program, all of those things, mention them. But just remember that just because you mention them, if you're sending that back to someone that's in the middle, It doesn't mean that the person in the middle is going to be giving that feedback to whomever was doing it. That was one of the largest road problems that what I would consider very few problems I've had over the years. That was one of the big ones. Because originally, I kind of took that as an offense, like, well, look, they're still doing it. We're in the eighth or ninth program of us telling them that there's a lozenge in this dude's mouth. And could he not have the lozenge? At some point, you just have to go, look, are you still willing to edit the program with that in there or not? And of course, the answer was, yes, we'll we'll take your money and edit the program and we're just going to deal with the lozenge. But it's something that you've got to address. And just remember, though, you addressing it doesn't mean that it's instantly or ever going to change.
1: And I would also add to that that just because you're willing to work with it doesn't mean that it's not time to revisit your rates and say, hey, based on what you're providing and the the product that you're expecting, we're having to do additional remediation. And for us to continue to do that on an ongoing basis will be this
2: there's a whole bunch of piggybacking topics going on here. So my apologies, but it's the way that it works inside of podcast editing. It really is. Uh, Remember to never be afraid to raise your rates. I'm not telling everyone to pull the COVID card, but I think all of us understand that between what's going on inside of the existing economy, what has happened over the last couple of plus years inside of the COVID environment, and just things, as a matter of fact, costing more money Don't be afraid to go back to the customer and go, I am raising my rates. If they're getting what they expect, if they're getting something that satisfies them, and they know that the relationship can continue and you are raising your rates, there should be check boxes inside of all of those for them. And they'll say, you got it. You know, I trust you with this. Let's do this. And if they can't, or if they say, I'm sorry, you're becoming too expensive. That's no problem. Let them have that out. But then also know. That when they go and try finds try and find somebody else that's the caliber that you are, they're likely not going to find a lot of people that want to have that lower price point all the time because it's just not tenable. It's not.
0: I feel like we could talk forever, but I do want to leave as much time as possible for launching new businesses. So I just I want to start off with we keep talking about it. You mentioned it several times. Tell us, what is the Editor Core?
2: The Editor Core started originally as where I would just go and find extra people to edit programming because I can imagine I could not physically do it all. There wasn't enough waking hours, and the four and a half hours of sleep I got were great hours, but it starts to wear on you, especially as you get old. And so it was time to go and grab other people. And so I did. And I started with the, the cadre of people that I had collected as podcasters over the course of that first six or seven years to see if they were interested. And there were a couple. And then it started to expand. And uh, to date, I've found either between 11 or 13, depending on the season, uh, people to go to who I can shunt either my Two Guys Talking podcast network content to, or just the stuff that we're getting in from Editor Core too as the people that are finishing that product. What that eventually turned into were people just saying, I need to learn how to do this because it sounds like a lot of fun. And I spend a lot of time doing other people's podcasts, but I want to know the game. And so we turned it into Academy as well. And what that means is that in addition to getting your podcast edited, you can also learn how to podcast based on much of the workflow, but most importantly, the experience that I love showering people with, just like we have inside of this program. The most important thing you're going to learn about podcast editing is the thing you've never experienced. And that's where I hope my team and I can provide for the people in the academy, the experience of everything that they haven't experienced yet. Because again, the worst enemy is not knowing what you don't know. It doesn't matter what you do in life. That's the killer that you've never heard of that, or i have never even thought of that. Those are the moments where everybody goes, man, I wish I had a source. And for podcast editing, it's EditorCore.com.
1: I know that you have the Academy. You bring people in. Do people apply to be part of the Editor Core? They do. All of there are
2: forms available over at the website over at EditorCore.com. Uh, it allows people to either submit their podcasts for edit, or you can also subscribe essentially to become an editor inside of the Editor Core.
1: So if someone were in a Facebook group was to say, hey, I'm a podcast editor or I want to be one, do you know of some training and somebody that can help me gain the experience to build a business? EditorCore.com, is that an appropriate place to send them? That is the perfect place to send them. And then when they go there, you'll give them all the unicorns and the magic pixie dust and everything and they'll be great at, at everything?
2: Podcastle just calls it magic dust. So absolutely, magic pixie dust is what you'll find over at EditorCore.com. <laughs>
1: <Nice>. <laughs> Trademark. Yeah, d- please don't sue us, Disney. It's not our fault. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, that's right. I forgot about Disney. Have I told you about Boba Fett recently?
0: Yeah, because uh, was it last week. Yeah, we talked to or not last week, but our last episode, Chris Curran, about um, whether somebody should start their own business. And for a lot of people, like because of what you're saying earlier, not everybody, a lot of editors don't think about business practices, which is totally fine if that's not your wheelhouse. You have other options. And one of those is the editor core.
2: Oh, it is. Absolutely. And it's one of the, I love spilling entrepreneurial spirit onto people. There are many people that we always glance on that will say, Mike, does everything you do have to make money? I'll say, no, not everything, but is there a way we can have this make money? Because why not? If, if you're dedicating, spending time and effort and experience, and that we, our blood, sweat, and tears of you learning to do X Why on earth should you not be paid for it? And I've never heard a good answer to that because it's Thursday. Well, because you should be a good citizen or whatever the answer is. I would prefer to make money. Thanks.
0: Especially if you're working on something that's going to make somebody else money.
2: What happens a lot inside of podcasting is that there is a plan to make money on the back of whatever the podcast project is. Not always, but many times, especially if they're willing to pay a podcast editor, there is an eventual goal of being able to monetize somehow. Well, if you're going to eventually monetize, you have to invest in what you're doing somehow. This is one of the best pieces of podcast editor knowledge is always go to people and tell the podcaster, podcaster, I know you love podcasting and I know you hate sitting in front of an editor stack for between three and four hours for your hour program, don't you? And all you got to do is just wait for the nod because as soon as you get the nod, the hook is set. Let me edit your podcast. Let someone that has been doing this for other people do this for you so you can go back and reclaim the time that you waste and hate sitting in front of an editing stack. That's what we do at editorcore.com. And it, it works. You just have to have the conversation.
1: Interestingly, I was talking to a group of high schoolers today about podcasting. And one person said, how much do you make from your podcast? And I was like, well, from my podcast, none of them make money directly. If you were to look at a balance sheet, all of them cost me money. The money comes because of the relationships I build and because it provides proof of what I can do to prospective clients. And I make my money by serving them.
2: One of the things that we talk about in podcasting is podcasting doesn't instantly, but what it does do instantly is as you build your library, it instantly builds a library of authority based on whatever it is you're talking about, whether it's about entertainment review whether it's about law enforcement whether it's about being law enforcement dispatcher whether it's about being a sports pediatrician whatever it is you are building a library of you being an authority of x and so really that's the answer the front end of Brian's answer is absolutely perfect where you go well no i don't like put out my podcast and hey look a check for 500,000 dollars that's not how it works what does happen though is that either the advertisements or the body of work now stands as a, a shingle that issues that I am an authority inside of this business industry, and you should come to me to use me, to pay me, to do my skill set. That's how podcasting makes money for lots of people.
1: Absolutely. The way you make money is you sell something. That's the only way to make money in a in a society like ours. You can sell your show. You can sell advertising. You can sell goods and services, anything. but. Ultimately, if you just make a show and don't do anything with it, it will never make you money. You have to sell something.
2: I can remember vividly when <laughs> when uh, Apple, back then it was iTunes, when Apple iTunes reviews started rolling in, we would get something consistently, always inside of two guys talking content. And it was, I hate the ads, one star. Okay, well, that's great. And unfortunately, we didn't have a way to issue a response inside of the iTunes reviews. But what we did have is we had an all-fan input episode. We're typically either halfway through a season of a program, a television program that we were reviewing, or after a movie review that we did after it had been issued for a while, we issued an all-fan input episode for that. And inside of there, when we would address those, I hate the ads. And that's fine. You can hate all the ads. Please hate all the ads you want. Just remember that the ads are going to be there because we're trying to make money and the money allows us to do the project. We're happy to make programming that doesn't have ads. In fact, we'll even give you a program that has no ads, but you got to pay us some money. Now, fast forward here into these, low, these 16 years later, and really it was several years ago. But the concept of, say, a Patreon or a subscribestar.com, well, it instantly is that where all you got to do is become a subscriber. And now, With your subscription, you get free, ad-free podcasts. Awesome. Well, see, that's what we were saying before. The difference is that there was no advent of, say, a Patreon or a Subscribestar. It's trying to find the ways to monetize that make sense, that allow your audience to help foster the effort. And that's why things like Subscribestar are really great.
1: Well, we have run over a little bit. Daniel, do we have time for uh, Poddex question of the day or should we skip it? I think
2: let's go ahead and do it.
1: Yeah, let's do it. It won't take long. Let's take the Poddex question. I need you to pick a number between one and five. Four. Four it is. We have, so we actually have real pod decks cards, and none of us have seen this yet. Oh, this is a great John Lee Dumas question. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? It's not what you preach.
2: It's what you tolerate.
1: I'm going to go with don't eat the yellow snow. From the
0: pressure. I have no idea, but we talked about tonight, <laughs> but I'm going to say something that I hear all the time in the uh, editor's club is know your worth and charge your worth. <clears> oh, that's good. That's too. a
2: great one. That's a great one.
0: Well, thanks so much, Mike, for coming on. I feel like we need to have you on and keep talking about this. I could have kept going, but if you're watching, thank you for watching if you're listening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe, like do all the things you know what to do. None of this is new. Um, if you want to be a guest on the show,
1: Brian, what do they need to do? Oh, that's easy. You go to podcasteditorsmastermind.com slash be a guest. There's a little form there for a little bit of information. Put in your information right there. That will send an email off to Daniel. It will arrive immediately to his spam box. And about once every two weeks, he'll pop in there to see if there's anything there before he goes and deletes it. Thank you, Gmail. And then we'll get back with you and see if we can set up a time to talk about it. Uh, If you have something that you want to bring to the table, or if you have a business problem you're working through and you're just looking for some advice from us and from the community, go ahead and fill that out. Podcasteditorsmastermind.com slash be a guest.
0: And our guest tonight has been Mike Wilkerson. You can find him at editorcore.com, voicefarmer.com. And honestly, we're, we thought we'd get to this, but podcastgauntlet.com. We'll probably have to bring you on just to talk about that as well.
2: I would love that. Before we stop, I wanted to thank all of you for having me in. Uh, this is an incredibly valuable platform and I foster everyone to come on here and have the dialogues that are going to make a difference inside of the podcast editor.
0: I appreciate that. I'm Daniel Avendroth.
2: You
1: can find me at rothmedia.audio. I'm Brian Etzbinger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com. And unavailable tonight was Carrie Caulfield-Eric. You can find her at yayapodcasting.com. What is it on Instagram? Carrie Eric, I think on Instagram. I don't know. Go to yayapodcasting.com. She's got all of her links right there and she's way smarter than we are. So go, go talk to her. (laughs) And if you want links to anything
0: and everything that we talked about on this episode, you can go to podcast editors, to find it there and we will see you in the next episode. Uh, Um, So how much is that? (gasps) Um, Um, Ah,